the nonprofit social media summit is coming back and we want you there. Save the dates, November 2nd and 3rd, 2022. And this year, the summit will be virtual, but that doesn't mean it won't be fabulous. And the best part to participate in all of the live sessions, it's totally and completely free. So get on the early interest list to get notified when registration opens www.nonprofitsocialmediasummit.com. That's nonprofitsocialmediasummit.com. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. I'm so excited to be here again with you today, wherever you're listening. And today's episode is all about nonprofit auctions, nonprofit galas, virtual events. Where are we going? Where have we been? What are we looking forward to in the future? And I have the preeminent nonprofit auction specialist and expert here today, Sherry Truler. She has many titles under her belt, including Certified Meeting Professional, Certified Auctioneers Institute, and that's the MBA for auctioneers, and Benefit Auctioneer Specialist. Sherry is president of Red Apple Auctions, a boutique auction firm focused on nonprofit galas. Since leaving her corporate marketing job, she's worked as a cheeky auctioneer on stage and a trusted resource offstage for anyone seeking to improve the profitability of a fundraising gala. Through her public work has taken her to nearly every state and placed her alongside A-list celebrities. We're going to have to talk about that. I want all of the information on that. The bulk of her time is spent educating thousands of gala planners via her benefit auction ideas, videos, and newsletter. We'll link to that in the show notes. She's spoken at many AFP regional conferences and has been covered in the nonprofit Times, Florida's Sun Sentinel, Town and Country Magazine, the Washington Post Magazine, the Chicago Tribune, the Vineyard Gazette, and dozens of other resources. Sherry, welcome. Thank you so much for that introduction and for the invitation to visit today, Julia. Thank you. It's really, it's nice to kind of meet a new sector, we might say, of the nonprofit space. I don't often talk to marketing folks. Well, there are a lot of marketing folks listening, and they're often marketing and fundraising, or they have some kind of combination of responsibilities. And I'm sure auctions and galas and event planning fall underneath their purview. But my very first question is, what kind of A-list celebrities have you met? And who was the, I guess, who was the meanest and who was the nicest? We wouldn't delve down. I haven't had any bad experiences. I will tell you this. I will be working now with Seth Meyers for the third year, and I have found him to be very accommodating and helpful. 
I'll just give you an example where I thought it was really thoughtful. So in 2020 was the first year I worked with him. What happened in 2020? COVID happened. So we had a virtual gala. The client was so excited because Seth was going to be a new addition to their event. This was something that was going to really elevate the entire experience for everyone. And then because of the pandemic, they needed to go virtual. And so they had hired an excellent production company, but there's a lot involved every virtual gala. There's different types of technology that's involved depending on what approach the nonprofit wanted to take. And so in this case, they had a pretty high-end production facility. Seth was logging in from his in-law's home which was on the island of Martha's Vineyard. The production company was in a television station. I was logging in at my house here in the D.C. area. And so there's a lot of stuff that was happening. When Seth speaks, I wouldn't be able to hear him necessarily because of the way the technology was. I had a cue I would be told, but it wasn't like we could just go back and forth as easily as if we were in the studio together. Right. So there's a delay a little bit or... There's a delay and then they have to like kind of cue me in, the production team would. So the concern was, from my perspective, you don't want to talk over Seth, right? People are coming to hear Seth. They do not want to hear the auctioneer talk over Seth. And so we had to kind of come up with this way of making sure that I wasn't over speaking during his time. And so Seth recognized that right away. And he said, you know what, Sherry, let's talk to the production company. Maybe there's a way that I can suddenly float into your screen and you can see that I want to interject something and then you'll know to be quiet. And it was just like he knew more about it than I knew as far as the technology goes. And he understood my concern that I didn't want to like just keep talking and talking when he wanted to be able to add something to the conversation. So his thoughtfulness and then kind of suggestions and like, I totally get it. Let's do it this way. It'll make you look better from the standpoint. You'll know when to back off. It'll all work. And it did. It was great. I love that because I think it really does segue perfectly into what we're going to talk about today how to change up everything in the light of what's going on and and how have things changed. So my first question is, how did you get into galas and auctions? And where's your current focus? Yeah, I originally got into it a bit in an accident environment. I wanted to learn how to talk fast, which is what is called a chant in the auction world. Most people just say, oh, can you do that fast talk? But it is technically called a chant. And so I had done a search. I was working at General Electric at the time, but I did a Google search to find out if there was such a thing as auctioneer schools. And there are. So I took a week of vacation. I went to auctioneer school. And while there, there was a speaker there who spoke about fundraising events. And I did not realize that this was a thing, galas, wasn't aware of it. So I came back to Virginia, DC area, and I went ahead and volunteered as a committee member on some smaller galas to better understand what this whole thing was about. And from there, I just kind of took it class-wise. I was rolling out some courses as I learned things. And the best way, of course, to understand something yourself is to teach. So I was learning all of that and teaching all of that and eventually getting better about the auction stage presence and eventually, you know, 
15, 20 years later, this is where I am. But it really was just a curiosity as something like, oh, maybe I can learn how to talk fast. Wouldn't that be fun? And then lo and behold, we have a great speaker there who really widens my eyes into a larger field. And I'm like, wow, this is this is something that I think would be a lot of fun. So that was it. Now, where I am now, uh, I'm doing nonprofit events. And I kind of say nonprofit schools are part of that as well. In the spring season, it's a lot of school auctions. In the fall season, it tends to be all nonprofit auctions. But it's really working with them, whether that is a formal sit-down black tie dinner, whether that is a more casual walk-around affair. Maybe it's something that a fashion show with an auction component. So if there's an auction piece to it, I'll generally call that a gala. And because of that, if there's an auction or a fund a need, which has a thousand different names as well, that's where my bread and butter is. So working with my gala chairs or development directors, but gala chairs is, is often part of the equation there in how to better create their event so that they raise more money and just have a better experience for the guests overall. Wow. So you do live auctions. What are the different kinds of auctions? I've only really worked on, I work, I'm on the PTO and I've done a ton of school auctions, but they've mostly been silent auctions. So which are your favorites? And do you think one is more effective than the next? Well, if we're going to judge effectiveness by money raised, it would be live, 100%. Live auctions, just in general, my clients are going to be earning over 100% of the donated value of an item in a live auction. Now, that's not to say that there's other costs that you've got to put forth when you're producing an event. But if we're just looking at a straight item by item, you're going to see greater success in a live auction if you're selling it because you're showcasing it, right? You're putting the spotlight on it. I'm up on stage talking about it like it's the best thing since sliced bread. (laughs) And we're putting people into an environment where they want that. So it just, it uh, raises more. But silent auctions and online auctions, which are now, that's being blurred as far as the line goes with COVID. We now have our silent auctions, which became online auctions. And prior to COVID, they were very separate things. You had an online auction and then you had a silent auction. Do you use paper bid sheets, Julia? Or do you find that at your school? Well, yeah, at the PTO auction. Yeah, we do. And sometimes online, but depends on the school, I guess. So some of them are going to have some software and they're going to do it online. And I guarantee you over the last two years, it was online. If they were doing it, it was online because they weren't bringing groups of people together to bid on paper. But your silent and your online auctions are generally earning 50 to 65% of value. So if you have a $100 item in a silent auction or an online auction, generally that's going to be selling for 50 to $65. Live auction, over $100. Because people get really excited about it. Well, they do. Yeah. And it's the whole environment. And we, you know, we can go down this path too of, oh, galas, lots of work. And, and certainly I never convince anyone to do an event. They are a ton of work. But if you're going to do it, then there's great ways to do it. And it's not just about the fundraising, but it's about the community building, bringing people together, educating them on your mission, giving people a chance to donate in other ways. You know, that's one of the things, even as we talk about people who are donating, some people out there may not be able to donate cash but they can donate services or they can donate something that they do all the time anyway and contribute to your cause without having to pull out their wallet, so to speak. So that's one of the advantages, I think, too, that's nice 
it's probably not even talked about enough of auctions, and particularly in smaller auctions or, or small school auctions that are just getting started. You have a community of talent there that can be tapped and make money from it. And it's not extraordinarily difficult for anyone if you are all coming together in that way. Case in point, there's a a church that I work with, and the church has all 18 to 30-year-olds. And they get together and they do a service project every year. So they're raising money to give back to the church, but that money is dispersed to like families who maybe had a very difficult year. Maybe, Maybe Santa Claus isn't coming that year, so some of the money is given to that family so presents can be purchased. Or maybe somebody lost a job and they need help paying the electric bill. So this group of 18 to 30-year-olds gets together to do an auction. And the things that they donate are not seven-night stays at the Marriott in uh, the British Virgin Islands. You know, I mean, these are the 18 to 30-year-olds. So the types of things that they're donating are, I will bake a cake for you for three months. Or I'm going to do a drop-off dinner party of a potluck that you can invite your friends over and have this fabulous meal. Or I know how to make noodles. I'm going to teach you how to make authentic noodles. I'm going to give you basic conversation classes in Russian. Or woodworking projects, like people, a lot of craft projects show up, a lot of woodworking projects show up. And these are you know, oil changes. I will change the oil in your car. I will give you a ride at 5 a.m. to the airport when no one else wants to. Yes, I will bid on all of those things. <laughs> they raised $17,000. $17,000. In fact, they said it was a little bit of an embarrassment in riches because they really didn't need that much. It was a service project back to the court. But you can do those sorts of things. And again, we're not talking about huge donations here. So what types of items or experiences do you find work best for a live auction? What, what are the trends? What are we seeing now? I have a great resource for this that we will link to in your show notes because there's a a guide that I pull together every year called the Auction Item Guide. It's the top 100 items I sold at events last year around the country that sold for over their value. So that's I'll, I'll certainly send that over. What are the top two? Across the board, trips are your top sellers. Now, if you ask me what's probably the easiest seller I would say dining experiences. Everybody eats, so there's always a place that you can celebrate an anniversary, a dinner, you know, somebody doing a dinner party, that's going to be an easy sell. But as far as high sellers, where are you going to make big bunny? That's your trips. And does it matter where necessarily? Are there certain places? That's a good question. And it's so hard to know right now because of the pandemic. So before the pandemic, about maybe five, six years ago, when Cuba opened up, I was selling Cuba trips left and right. And then it shifted to Iceland. Iceland was this really trendy spot. And it was starting to go to Portugal before the COVID. But now we've got a war in Europe. Last week, we had carbon monoxide poisoning down down in the Caribbean. So depending on who I'm talking to, Some clients, these things are going to resonate, others won't. So if I'm on the West Coast talking about Bali, that is an easier sell than if I'm on the East Coast talking about Bali because it's a lot more expensive to get there. On the flip side, going to Europe has traditionally been easier on the East Coast, but with some of the things going on over there, some people are hesitating. So I don't have a tried and true 
location right now. In prior years, I'd say, ah, Italy, that's an easy sell. And it still is. But again, we've got a lot going on in Europe. You know, a Caribbean, Mexico, generally very easy sells on the East Coast. Everyone likes to go. In fact, I think Mexico was the number one destination outside the U.S. during the pandemic. So people still felt. I think what you're saying is very relevant because it encourages event planners and whoever is listening, marketers, fundraisers, to be very strategic and not just accept necessarily anything or assume something's going to be a home run. That we have to do our homework on our audience. And also, like you said, the East Coast, like getting to Hawaii from the East Coast (laughs) is a lot harder than getting to Hawaii from Los Angeles. So I guess another question that I have is how do you get these items? So how do you get volunteers to procure these items, including experiences? So the volunteers, there's usually a committee that is pulled together, your procurement committee, ideally, who's going to work on these things. And what I like to do is suggest that the net is thrown wide, and then you figure out from that where your live auction items are going to come from. If you're having a live auction, and I realize that you know we've got lots of people listening, not every event has a live auction. In fact, I would say that there's a big chunk of people out there who do a silent auction with a fund need. They're not doing the live auction piece at all. But the nice thing about having procured items is that you can use them in multiple ways, including using them in a fund need, by the way. But so when you're talking to volunteers, I think the first thing is that you've got to help. People are creative, but you've got to help them be creative. So what I like to do is if they've got their team together, because again, I'm not convincing them to do an auction. At this point, they've come to me. They said they're going to do an auction. So at this point, I'm like, okay, we've got a volunteer or we've got three volunteers or, you know, who knows, maybe we've got 20 volunteers. So we're working with them on the procurement. And I like to give some suggestions of categories that they should target and a ton of examples, which is part of why that auction item guide came into play. Because years ago, I'm like, I need to pull some stuff together so that people understand what they should go target. Because if I don't provide this, they're going to come with me giving me you know, $5,000 pieces of jewelry or furniture, or they're going to say, hey, we've got this vasectomy that's been donated. So let's put that in the live auction and I'm going to be tearing my hair out. Did someone literally put a vasectomy in a live auction? I have sold a vasectomy in the live auction. Wow. And I've sold Botox parties in the live auction and I've sold plastic surgery. For most groups, that is not going to be a great seller. So some of the things that we try to avoid are services, like professional services, home decorating, real estate services, tax services, accounting services. You can get by having some handyman services in some live auctions, but for the most part, services, eh, don't put them in. Furniture, don't put it in. Jewelry. I don't like to put jewelry in the live auction. Do I sell it in the live auction? Yes, we sell it, but I don't like to put it there because things like rugs and jewelry and furniture are all very personal to whether you like it or not. And we want to try to get generic things in the live auction. Things that everybody will like. 
Yeah, right. Because that's part of what you want to create competition. You got to have at least two people to make an auction. So from that standpoint, you got to get stuff in there that works. So I, for, to kind of go back to your question, what do I do? So we start talking about categories. We talk about what works and what doesn't work. And then I give out a ton of examples because when people hear something, then they start to think. Let me give you a great example. I was visiting with one group and they did not have any dining. We just talked about dining, so I'll use this example. They did not have anything dining related in their live auction. So at that point, I said, hey, we got to look at something. Don't you have anything? Maybe we can call a bunch of gift cards together from the restaurants, right? We can sell that as six months of dining. Maybe you've got a dinner party somewhere that I haven't seen and, and I, we, you know, we can pull that together. And I said, do you know anyone who bakes? I said, maybe if you got someone who bakes, we can do, you know, six months or a year's worth of desserts, a dessert a month for a year, something like that. And they all turned their head and they looked at the executive director and they said, she bakes and she bakes fabulous desserts. I mean, they're like organic chocolates and look gorgeous. I said, well, would you be willing, not to put you on the spot here, but would you be willing to donate, you know, a dessert a month? And she's like, oh, I don't know. You think anyone would buy it? I'm like, yes, they will buy it. So she went ahead and donated a dessert a month for six months. And I talked that thing up like it was the best things ever. This is the kind of desserts that you would see in a Georgetown bakery, in a window. These are the kinds of things that get blown up and suddenly they've got a, a, a mail order business across the country. Yep, on like a show, on a baking show. Exactly. That thing. So she said, well, I, I don't know if anyone, I said, I said, look, if it doesn't even sell, I will put the first bid in for $300. Well, that thing took off. It went up to, I think, 1600 and we sold it twice. We sold it twice. That's why I say, too, we're shining the light on it. We're putting it on the pedestal. It's like you're walking into the jewelry store and whoo, everybody's looking at that. That's what the live auction does for any of the items that you put in. So in that case, though, that filled a hole that they needed. So I like to give a ton of examples because then they can start to think about that and they can go, oh, I know somebody or I know someone. So dining is a good example for that because there are a lot of ways that you can do dining in a in an auction and make an impact. So that's something that I like to do. And then the other piece too is just uh, sometimes you want to start with easy wins. I was going to ask that. What's the pace of the auction? Like, do you do, like you just said, the easy wins and then you go to the trip to Tuscany or how do you pace it? Oh, for the live auction. Uh, well, there. Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to give you another link to for people who are more interested. I will give you a link to a blog post I did about two weeks ago that talks about this exact thing. But when you're looking at how to order the live auction, that's usually something your auctioneer should do, not the volunteers. Now, if you've got a volunteer auctioneer, then you'll do it for them. But generally, we're looking for a bell curve. Generally, you know, we're we're talking about things like I ask questions: Is the donor in the room or not? Is this a new donor that we want to make sure gets some extra love? Is this something that we've sold in the past? Maybe it's been sold for eight years in a row. Boring. Maybe it's a brand new item. Is this something that's a group item? Or is it just something like, you know, a couple's getaway? Because a group item we would sell later in the auction versus up front. Where is the value of the item? I don't want to put my most expensive items up front. I want to put something that's popular up front, but not necessarily my $8,000 trip. I want to work up to that, generally speaking. I want to mix and mingle. So I want to have a trip 
but then I want to have a sporting thing. I don't want to put all of my trips in a row. Can I double it? Can I sell two of them? Because if I can sell two of them, I don't want to start the auction with something I can sell two of. Because then the crowd immediately thinks everything can be sold twice. So there's a whole bunch of things that I kind of think about when I'm, and I I usually will work with a client and get a lot of information up front. And then I go off on my own. I have my Excel spreadsheet. I start lining everything up and I kind of slide this in here, slide that over here, kind of feel it for a bit. Like I kind of think about myself selling it on stage and what I would say and how it would go. And I massage it and then I send it back to the client and say, okay, here's the order. Now they may choose to move things around a bit. They may say, well, we really want to do this because, you know, we found out Joe's going to leave early. So we're going to put Joe's item a little bit earlier because he has to rush out. So, you know, if he needs to say anything, then, but for the most part, they go with it. Wow. So what if it's a nonprofit that doesn't have a professional auctioneer. Do you think a live auction could still be successful? What are some tips for holding a live auction during a gala, during an awards ceremony, during a luncheon, whatever it might be? And how could a a nonprofit just do it? Can they do it themselves? They can. This initially, when I first started my business, I thought this would be something that I will offer to people is I have a volunteer auctioneer training program. And I pulled together this training program and I did go out. I trained some volunteer auctioneers. Like it's the gregarious board member. It's the dad. It's the mom at the school auction. So I have done some of this. And in my program, what I talk about is first off, you need to have support for that auctioneer. You cannot just let them (laughs) go up there because there's too much going to go on. So we kind of assign roles to people. But what I work with the auctioneer specifically on is I work with them on timing. I make it clear that they do not need to talk fast. That is not why they're being asked to do this event. So we talk about kind of a method that what you should say, like, uh, you know, your lead into the item. So what can you say about the item that's just a quick lead in? Like, oh, friends, you're going to want to bid on this. Or, oh, you're going to like this better than your money. Or, oh, this is, uh, you know, this is what you came for. Then we describe the item. Then we talk and and there's kind of like for trips, there's a certain way to do that and so forth. But I, I just give them a model. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm given a model to kind of describe the item and then give some suggested ways to start it so that that way that, you know, because if you throw out $3,000 and no one bids, that can be very uncomfortable if you're a volunteer. Like, what do I do? <laughs> so so you you want to kind of give them a strategy for how to do the sale itself And then meanwhile, you got your volunteers who are recording all of this. I give them some increments, some examples for that. So like, you know, here's what I would say. If you're at at $1,000, I think you should go in $100 increments or $250. Don't go in $50 increments at that point. If you're at $500 and you want to go in $50 increments, depending on the group, then that's fine. But, you know, they found that very helpful, which I didn't really initially give them at first, but then as I as they started to ask more questions, I realized in future trainings that that was something that they found helpful because other you know you don't want to be in a dollar increments up there. You got to you got to somehow push this along, and then how to know also to do the fund to need because some people feel uncomfortable asking for money from the stage, and in the fund to need that becomes even more crucial. In the live auction, you can kind of say, well, people are buying this with good hearts, but they are getting something in return. But when it comes to the fund to need, then you know that's not really the case. So you kind of need to have better language there. 
where are galas going? What's the future for galas? We've been in this pandemic for two years. I think I know at least in Massachusetts, things are opening up. I just went to a wedding of 250 people in Toronto. I've been to conferences. Where do you think galas are going and how have they changed? What I found interesting during the pandemic was that we had some great success with virtual galas. And what they found was that their net incomes in some cases were astronomically higher to the point where it was the best gala ever, hands down. In in other cases, it was solid, you know, so it, but it was never like, wow, that just bombed because the expenses were so low to produce the virtual gala. And the other advantage was the high reach. You could really go far with these. So I had a conversation with some of my school clients when the school season kind of ended, talking to them about the future of school auctions. And there was a interest on behalf of those people to continue in some form or fashion the virtual reach. They liked that part of it. You know, do you do a virtual gala every other year? Do you just make sure you do a hybrid event? But now that we're coming out of the pandemic, I haven't seen people run so fast away from virtual galas than they were running from a bull in a china shop. I mean, they were just like, they're, man, they're getting rid of it. I have had a few clients, the same ones that I, I was visiting with after the school season ended last year, and they are going more hybrid. So we are including bidding from afar and donating from afar at the in-person event. And we have found that to be pretty successful. It's still early, so I can't say that we've got a ton of data on it. But of the mm, five, six, half dozen events that I've done that way, it's been positive. We'll see whether or not it continues into 2023. But I kind of feel like there's a real advantage to doing that. And I will say, like, one of my clients is continuing with a virtual gala, not because of any other reason other than the fact that they're a small organization, they're trying to grow nationally. It makes no sense for them to try to host a gala in Chicago and Miami and Dallas and these other locations because they just don't have that kind of reach yet, but they can build with a virtual gala until they do have that kind of support in those other key cities. So, you know, for them, that's working in a different way too. Wow. Well, Sherry, I've really learned a lot (laughs) and I'm going to take it back to the boards that I work with and the PTO, certainly, but to the organizations out there, you've definitely piqued their curiosity. You've gotten them really excited. Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you and work with you? Well, I have a ton of resources at my website. That's redappleauctions.com. And as mentioned, Julia, I'll go ahead and send you the auction item guide link so that they can get in on that. Once you do, I have a a newsletter that I have people tell me, oh, I saved this. Even if I don't read it every time, I like to save it because I know that when it comes time for the gala season, I'm going to be starting to research all this stuff. So the newsletter is another great way to, to stay in contact with me as well. And recognizing, of course, that you're not doing the auction 12 months out of the year. You're usually doing it, I don't know, three to six months out of the year. So it's kind of a seasonal thing that we get to know each other better during parts of the year. And then we kind of go our separate ways. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with that. I think that I, I definitely have labels in my email provider where it's sort of like year end, or I have a Giving Tuesday label. I have like a Mother's Day campaign label because it's not 
year round. It's, it's really kind of when you, when you need it, when you're thinking about it. Oh, another question, really quick question. How far ahead should we plan our live auction? It's totally dependent, totally dependent on your volunteer base. I've seen three women pull together outstanding, successful galas in a short period of time. I mean, they can, because they know what they're doing, they all have their roles, they crank it through. And that, that can come together in as little as two months. But most people on most people are working, starting to really crank it up about six months in advance, in part because if we go back to that whole idea of how do you get donations, there's some places online that you're going to request for donations. And these are, you know, free things or they have limits as to you got to request at least four months in advance for us to consider you, that sort of thing. Some of these national companies have those kinds of rules. So you need to get ahead of that in order to be able to be on their request list. Sherry, thank you so much. Everyone follow Sherry Truler on LinkedIn. Red Apple auctions on the internet, all over the interwebs. We will post all of these resources and links. Sherry, it's so great to finally virtually meet you. Thanks for being on. Yeah, I I look forward to meeting you in person. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then... You can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn.